Help is needed now more than ever. Susan G. Komen established the Komen COVID-19 Action Fund to support urgent needs among our breast cancer community today. Whether it's providing answers and counsel for those who can't see a doctor in person to those that need financial or treatment assistance. Visit coronavirus.komen.org and donate today. Support for Real Paint comes from Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, who pursues groundbreaking science to discover and develop medicines for people with breast cancer. Learn more at gene.com. That's G-E-N-E.com. From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. We're all familiar with getting our seasonal flu vaccine, but understanding how vaccines protect us against viruses like COVID-19 is something most of us aren't familiar with. Dr. Adam Soloff, a Komen-funded researcher, has a background studying viruses, vaccines, and ways to develop better vaccines and therapies for viral infections. Throughout his research training, Dr. Soloff studied viruses such as HIV, SARS, and influenza A and their impact on the immune system to help demystify the world of viruses, vaccines, and how they are currently impacting our society. We've invited Dr. Soloff to speak with us today. Adam, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, so before we dive in, uh, give us an overview of, of who you are, what you're doing, why we're talking to you, and then, and then I've got a bunch of questions. Right, so um, I am a, a Susan G. Komen Career Catalyst Researcher. So that is a, uh, a junior researcher, which is Komen has provided funding to launch you from kind of your uh, mentored state into an independent kind of uh, full-fledged grown researcher. I started working with Komen in 2015 and the project which uh, they picked me up for was to develop a vaccine that we could use uh, to give an individual, give a person who has breast cancer that we'd hopefully give them this product, this vaccine, which would train their body's immune system to fight off the cancer, um, eliminate it, and essentially cure their disease. So we've been working on that for a number of years. In fact, that project just came to an end, uh, and we started taking that different directions, trying to get things into patients now, trying to expand on it. All in the right now, we're really interested in how we can use the body's immune system to eliminate metastatic disease. Mm. But I think why you and I are talking today is I have a really weird background for a cancer researcher, and that uh, I haven't, I wasn't a cancer researcher until about seven years ago. So okay. went to school, actually undergrad at Delaware, mostly philosophy, but a little bit of science at the end, came out, went to grad school, and I ended up getting a PhD in infectious diseases. So hmm. my PhD was at grad school of public health at the University of Pittsburgh, and that was in viral immunology. So for the first 12 years of like my, I'm not going to say grown up working career, but the 12 years through like school and when I was uh, doing all my training. Right. So yeah. I was working on a vaccine to treat HIV and AIDS. Okay. And during that time, uh, I was fortunate enough to work on some really cool vaccine projects. The first time SARS coronavirus came around in 2003, we developed a vaccine here at Pitt, and I was part of that team for that. Uh, when bird flu came about again a couple years later, so we were developing vaccines for that. So along the line, as much my thrust was to HIV, but then I, I had the fortune or um, the position to work on emerging infectious diseases as well. Mm. There's only, so most of my life I have been a viral immunologist and only a couple years ago switched to cancer while working with Komen. 
Wow, that's fantastic. So, you know viruses better than anybody. We're dealing with viruses. We're thinking about viruses a lot these days. What actually is a virus and what should people know about viruses? Yeah, um, that that's a good question. I literally, it's a good question. Like, <laughs> I feel like I should already know the answer and yet I... I'm asking the question knowing I don't know the answer. Oh, I, I got a little lead. I was, I was tipped off of some of the questions that would be asked. And, you know, yeah. so what is a virus, right? And I started thinking about it. So in essence, a virus is kind of simple. So a virus is this little protein shell with a little package of genetics inside. And the virus has to live inside a host cell. Normally we think about it as you or me. You know, that's our host cell and what we're interested in. But that could be a cat. could be a... You know, a reptile could be, you know, so virus gets inside a host cell, it makes more of itself, then goes out and continues to spread, right? right. So a virus is not a living object, right? Um, it is essentially this very simple structure and it replicates, it makes more of itself. And in the process, sometimes it gets you sick, sometimes it gets animal sick. But the question of what is a virus actually got me thinking more like, why is a virus? I don't know. What evolutionarily, that's a, a right. different field beyond me is how they came about. You know, was it a purpose to just transfer little bits of genetics here and there? But essentially, mm. a virus is really simple. Okay. A shell and a piece of genetics, uh, which, yeah, has the potential to get you sick. So, all right. So next simple question that I, again, recognize, I, I really feel like I should know the answer to this and realize I don't have a good one, which is, what are vaccines and how are they used to combat viruses? That's great, right? And I don't think that, that you inherently should know. <laughs> like, <laughs> so a vaccine, we, our bodies are uh, gifted with this wonderful immune system. And our immune system, uh, all these white blood cells in our body are capable of detecting and attacking and gobbling up these threats, whether it's a splinter, whether it's a bacteria, whether it's a virus, right? A vaccine is any way where we can, in a safe manner, show your immune system that threat in the context that allows it to learn how to attack it. Okay. So some of the earliest vaccines, which are still some of the best, are let's say a virus gets you sick. You can take that virus and kill it. So maybe it doesn't get you sick anymore and give it to the body. And the body goes, oh, okay, cool. That's how that looks. That's how this invader is going to look when it gets inside me your body recognizes how it looks. And then if it's exposed to in the future, you know, I come around in two weeks and sneeze on you with the flu, your body's already has that built-in response. It already has that mm. protective immunity where it knows how to fight and knows how to attack. So in a vaccine, what we're doing is we're taking something that might be really dangerous to you, you know, polio or right. flu or... Or chicken pox. Totally, chicken pox. <laughs> and... We're showing your body in a real benign, a safe way, like, hey, this is what these targets are going to look like when you see them. And if you see them, kill them very quickly. Make sure that mm. that doesn't take hold. Gotcha. I love that. Okay. That was, that was helpful. So then let's, let's relate it to COVID-19. So there's a lot of hope about COVID-19 vaccine being developed and tested right now. Can you tell us a little bit about how vaccines are created and what are the obstacles in developing a vaccine? Yeah. So... I'm amazed. I mean, in the COVID-19, uh, it's, it's terrifying. The impact on, you know, our health deeper into the society is really devastating, right? But as my nerdy scientist side, the fact right. that this is the first pandemic, this first, 
you know, serious outbreak that we've had globally in the internet age. So we are getting right. information so fast. We're getting information like left and right on things that before would take weeks, months, maybe weeks if you're lucky, but more like months to get to you. Right. And now we're getting daily. Wow. Plus, I'm going to curse because some of it's good information and some of it is not good information. Okay, but a vaccine, again, so the absolutely encouraging side is just the pace and the extent, mm. right? So as of last week, there were 78 vaccine candidates that were going to trial globally, right? I have no doubt, right? I mean, I would be very comfortable putting money to say that some of those 78 are going to work just fine. Right. Now, with those 78, what's different in this vaccine from that? Well, they're all going to use part of that virus, right, to show the body's immune system. So they're going to say, okay, well, here's a target which we can show the body's immune system that the immune system can uh, learn to recognize an attack in a way that will protect you from future exposure. So something like coronavirus, my kid has this spiky ball. It's like a bouncy ball with little knobs on the front, right? So right. a coronavirus is like, it's got its protein shell. And on the outside of it, you got all these little knobs that stick up, right? Right. And those are called the spike protein, very aptly named, right? So it's got all these spikes on it. What happens is the virus uses those spikes as kind of a lock and key mechanism. When it comes right. and it finds one of the cells in your body that it, it wants to infect, that spike grabs on to a, a protein on that cell. So it has a receptor and those receptors are matched and then the virus can get into that cell, right? Right. So what most everyone is doing are they're taking that spike protein and their amazing amount of tricks and very sophisticated methods to basically show the body that spike protein in a very safe format, but mm -hmm. also in a format that rings the alarm bells that says, hey, man, if you see this, you got to attack this, right? right. And you got to attack it with everything you got. You got to make, you know, antibodies and cells that will gobble it up and this and that. So that's where, why do we have 78 vaccines? Well, because they're all different formulations, right? And throwing everything at it to see what works. You got it. I mean, okay. I reviewed a protocol a couple of weeks ago where one, the first one that went to trial was done in 42 days, I think, which wow. is amazing. Like that would be absolute science fiction two, three years ago. Wow. So related to timeline, like what, what would you assume is the absolute fastest possible timeline for COVID-19 vaccine versus what you think would be sort of a more average timeline for something of this nature? So I, I should preface this for everyone. One is that I am, you know, I do have expertise in experimental viral immunology and things like that, but I am not an expert in the epidemiology or... That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. So I, I'm very cautious. And I'm, I'm learning as much of this as it comes through and the rest of us are, but yeah, I think a year is reasonable, right? Okay. And actually pretty rapid compared to what we've seen. You know, um, you can look at the recent Ebola virus outbreaks, which I think the last one we saw was 2016. And it still mm -hmm. took a couple of years to really get something good and through testing. And the issue is that we need to make sure it's safe. It's not mm -hmm. just, you know, safe and effective. Right. There are two big challenges, especially with the coronavirus, which you have to consider. The first is that the population, which is really kind of the most at risk, right? Um, they tend to be older individuals mm -hmm. and they're individuals with comorbidities. So they're people who aren't super healthy to start with, right? Okay. So they might have heart disease, they might have respiratory issues like COPD, 
Um, mm -hmm. They might be immunocompromised. So these are the individuals who are at the most danger, the most at risk of actually being affected by the COVID-19 are also the ones that are actually the hardest to prepare with the vaccine because their immune systems aren't, uh, aren't as robust. They're not quite as strong, you know. So you, you got a healthy 20, 20, 25 year old off, you know, out of somewhere perfectly fit, great, you know, um, they're easy, right? Right, <laughs> right yeah. They have good immune yeah. systems. You know, right. it's, it's when you take like maybe my father, who's a little bit more advanced in age, and, and that's yeah. the population that you need to protect with coronavirus. That's also the hardest to uh, induce those immune responses into. Um, yeah. Your immune okay. system kind of wanes a little bit. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. All right. So next question, there've been some reports and theories that the COVID-19 virus may be able to mutate, that that could lead to it coming back in the fall or the winter and having a resurgence. What does it mean to have a resurgence of a virus and how do viral mutations influence things like vaccines? Yeah. So we'll talk about mutation first, because that's, a, okay. that's the, the tried and true things that we know. It's always easiest right. to talk about the things that we know. That's so right. if you take... Um, Another virus, the influenza virus, right? So I, most of us have had flu in our lives, no fun at all. You know, actually, in flu itself is very, you know, is not without risk. It kills about 40,000 people in the U.S. each year. But the flu bug is, um, we talk about it as a protein shell that contains a little packet of genetics, right? Right. And the influenza and in the coronavirus, that genetic code is made up of something called RNA, which is kind of the message. It's like after you read the blueprint, that's the translation, and that gets made into all the structures, right? Okay. So we have two events that happen. So one of the things is um, when viruses copy themselves, often the machinery that does that isn't quite as good as the machinery that's in you and me. So mm. when they're making the next, you know, the next line of viruses, sometimes they get a letter wrong. They get a little error here or there, right? Okay. Because you just want to make more of yourself. They don't, you know, right. if a couple of them get screwed up in the assembly line, you're not really sweating that because your job is to pump out more and more and more, right? Yeah. So every once in a while, you get some that have a little bit of a, you know, factory defect, right? Okay. So that means that that virus looks slightly different. So that's what happens seasonally when like, so why is the flu different a little bit now than it was, you know, a couple months ago? Right? right. Or you have a big flu, you know, you get ready for flu season. And then by the end of flu season, people are getting it again. Well, sometimes you can have these little mutations that just change it enough to kind of get under your body's immune system, get through the defenses. Okay. And the other event, which is actually more dangerous is let's say instead of just, you know, on the assembly line of making viruses, you just have a little error, right? And it causes this little screw up, this tiny defect. Sometimes they're actually able to shift parts swap this gene for that gene right and when that happens you can have a big shift and now all of a sudden mm. that that virus that's created looks significantly different mm, okay and how do, how do those mutations influence the actual vaccines themselves so incredibly difficult to track right <laughs> right yeah the first off we don't know how the coronavirus will mutate yet right we know that there are changes that we've detected but we don't know if this will be minor changes that really won't influence the development of a vaccine or if they're major. If we take the flu virus, the influenza virus analogy, right? Each year, as that virus circles the globe and flu kind of circles the globe uh, with weather patterns. Mm -hmm. So each year as it circles the globe, it's constantly getting these you know, factory defects, these little mutations that occur so that by the time you see it in the same region the next year, the vaccine is much less effective. 
right? Mm, so for okay. influenza, we have to develop a vaccine each year based on that formulation. And we hope that we get it right. We hope that the vaccine that we're making at, that we're targeting this virus with, is still effective. And that virus still looks the same by the time it comes to us, right? Mm -hmm. Right. It's a constant battle about mm. staying ahead of those mutations. Now, when you get sophisticated, some of the vaccine development processes are trying to get at conserved regions to go, well, you know, and I, I like to think about when we were working in HIV, HIV is such a challenging virus because in, in an individual who's not treated, every day, every letter of that virus's genetic code will mutate, right? Mm. So every day you have the possibility to have, and I forget the number, but every possible change in that virus that can happen will happen, right? Wow. So that's why it's been such a hard thing to pin down. Right. What's one way that we can get about that, right? So some of the really right. cool techniques that people use are, okay, I boil a virus down to a, a crunchy shell with a little bit of genetics in it, right? But yep. let, let's say you think about it like a dog, right? If we define a dog, a dog has, you know, four legs and a wet nose and a tail, right? Okay. Well, virus has right. kind of the same thing. Virus has certain structural parts, right? They all have that crunchy shell. They all have a way that holds their genetic packet of a way to like make more of that genetic packet. So some of that, if you're like an HIV bug or a flu bug, you have to have those parts, those basic parts, mm, right? right? So more right. sophisticated vaccine strategies are finding ways to target those parts that make that virus the virus, right? So uh -huh. you, know, you target the tail because every dog has a tail, right? And you right. just have to figure out how to target that part in the virus that is essential that you go, oh, well, it can't live without this. It can't make more right. of itself without this. So it doesn't have the ability to just you know completely mutate and change and look different it has to kind of be that conserved region right wow okay so i i think i might understand viruses now uh, i think i might understand <laughs> vaccines now i'm still not sure i can fully verbally define them but but i've gained i've gained a lot of understanding so my last question for you is related to your coleman funded research i know it involves developing a vaccine for breast cancer can you tell us the difference between a breast cancer vaccine and a vaccine for a virus yeah, at the face value, there's almost nothing. But I think one of the challenges, so viruses are fairly easy to make a vaccine for because your body knows them as foreign. You know, if I stick influenza in you or this coronavirus, your body freaks out. It knows right. that it should not be there. There's like no part of you that looks like the coronavirus, right? So right. it starts to mount this immune response, attack, 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 it's going to kill. So if you take that idea of how do we protect people with a vaccine or cure people with a vaccine in cancer, cancer has its own bag of tricks, which are really hard. So any cancer cell, you're, you know, a mammary tumor, that mammary tumor develops that came from healthy tissue. So at right, some point right. that was an individual's own healthy body. And one of the problems there is your body doesn't want to attack itself. It has this whole slew of checks and balances to not fight itself. Because if you did, you're going to develop autoimmunity, right? Right. Which could be anywhere from just kind of annoying and uncomfortable to like kind of fatal. So the default state of your body is to say, oh, this is some of us. So we, we stand down. So when right. you go, what are the issues with making a vaccine for cancer? First and foremost, we have to combat the idea that we have to, in a very safe manner, say, here are things that we can show the body that say, okay, here's a target that's on the cancer cell, but not on a healthy cell. 
right? Because right. we don't want to we don't want to attack and cause any collateral damage. But then we have to soup it up, right? So again, body knows virus is bad. Body wants to fight, wants to kill virus. But when we make a cancer vaccine, we just can't say, okay, here's a bit that's on a tumor, go get it. We need to encourage it. We need to help yeah. it along. Yeah. What we did with Komen is we actually, <laughs> my, my mentor's mentor, many, many years ago, a, a woman, brilliant lady named Oya Finn, discovered this region called Mach 1. It's this little flag that sits on the outside of a cell. And when a cell is healthy, the flag has all these sugars and looks like this beautiful Christmas tree. When a cell becomes cancerous, that little flag loses its sugars and looks like this mm. naked, twiggy, like Charlie Brown Christmas tree, right? Mm. So the body can tell the difference between the one that's on cancer cells and the one that's on healthy cells. Okay, okay. So what we did for Komen, we took her creation. She, we took what she discovered. She found this target. And I took a virus which gives you a cold. Mm -hmm. Nothing serious. It's called an adenovirus. Then we go in and genetically start tinkering with it. We chop out bits that allow the virus to make more of itself. So it's just a dud, it's a blank. And in those spaces, in those genes where we chopped out, we put that tumor target, right? And then we put other factors to start souping it up, like immune hormones and, and different molecules that stimulate the immune response. So that when we actually administer this cancer vaccine, the cells, the immune system sees that it's a virus. They actually see that, that shell that we put in. It's kind of like a Trojan horse technique. Right, yeah. where the virus is, you know, sounds the alarm, the body goes, that's not supposed to be on us, we're gonna get that. But when it goes, it's also making that tumor target. And they learn to kill the tumor in kind of the context of that viral alarm signals. Wow. Uh, and the research that you're doing just sounds kind of fantastic. So, so thank you, thank you for that, I really appreciate it. So um, I know we, we're gonna have another episode and we're gonna talk a little bit more about vaccines and the roles they play in defending against viruses. But until then, uh, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Okay, so I will leave on an optimistic note. People have tried the vaccine, cancer vaccines for years. I talk about my mentor's mentor, Dr. Finn, who discovered this. She was putting vaccines into, starting in mice, I think in the early 90s, late 80s, right? A lot of times you go, well, why? Is it, why hasn't it worked, right? Why don't we have these now? And something that I, I'm just so excited about and where we are is, um, you know, so we're at a point now where the technology of what we can do in the lab, you know, we talk about the pace of discovery, the pace of the inventions, you know, in the lab over here, we can read the genetics out of one cell. It's crazy. But also the knowledge base that we have, you know, when we talk about why don't we have a vaccine for cancer? Why isn't there a breast cancer vaccine yet? And I think it's on the horizon because of those two things. I think actually a lot of the vaccines that have been developed in generations past would actually work just fine if we also paired them with some better ways to boost the immune system or to maybe not sometimes boost the immune system, but sometimes attack that tumor's ability to hide. Now, we talked a little bit about the body doesn't want to fight itself. The body has all those mechanisms to not fight itself and seeing the tumor as itself. So all those mechanisms are in play. You know, the biggest breakthroughs in cancer in the past 10 years have been recognizing those immune mechanisms and starting to shut them off, right? right. So I think there's probably dozens of vaccines that would work over the past, you know, 20, 30 years that once we pair them with those new techniques of shutting off the mechanisms that allow tumors to hide, I think are actually gonna work pretty well. That's fantastic. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. And we'll have you back again for part two. So uh, listeners, stay tuned.
Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com. Thanks to Genentech for supporting Real Pink. To find out more about Genentech's latest advancements, visit gene.com. That's G-E-N-E dot com.